Hello, my name is David, the host of the podcast Navigating Hollywood. I'm here to gather experts on how we as artists can navigate through the business. I hope you receive as much value as me with our honored guest. Thank you for listening. Hello, I have David Benello here helping us navigate through the business of Hollywood. He is a writer and he's going to help us writers how to navigate through this business. So how are you doing, David? I'm well. How are you? Okay. So first things, l- let's start things out with how do you start work as a writer? Um, you mean how do you start work professionally or how do you start work um, just being a writer? Just uh, uh, prof- let's, start with, um, let's start with writing in general. So where, where do you start? Uh, usually it comes from just an idea. Uh, you have a spark, you have a character, you have a thought, you have a premise you want to kind of fulfill, mm-hmm. and you break that down and you start filling it in and fleshing it out, and you put a lot of ideas on a lot of pieces of paper, and eventually you start kind of putting together an outline or some sort of form of story, some sort of narrative through line, and that starts to kind of, you hit your linchpins and you book, you know where you want things to happen and what to happen, and you build out from there, and then you turn that into a full-length screenplay, or a pilot, depending on what you're looking to do or mm-hmm. what kind of you know, venue you want, or novel, if that's what you want to do. Okay. Well, what about from the professional perspective? So how do you start from there? Uh, you mean how do you become a professional? Yeah. So how, how does a writer work in the industry to get paid for doing what they're going to do? Okay. So in order to do that, you have to have written several pieces of material, um, and they have to be good. So you have to make sure that they're good. So you only have one shot with people. So make sure you get proofread, and you make sure you have friends read it and not your mom. Because your mom loves everything, and you want um, you want people you trust to give you honest feedback, and you want to listen to that feedback, and you want to make it the best script you can because you only get it one shot to right. impress the people you need to impress. And once you kind of once you've been, you know once enough people have noticed you and they like your stuff, they will um, take you under their wing. Usually, uh, usually it's a manager first. Sometimes it's an agent, depending, or a producer will find your stuff and then they will try to sell it, and then you yeah, hopefully. You know, they get you exposed to the executives around town who can hire you, producers or executives. So how does a writer find those people then? Because I'm assuming that you have to live in L.A. for this work. Because usually, you know, all you're doing is pretty much writing. So do you have to be in L.A. for this stuff? Um, You have to be in L.A. to take all the meetings. Because nobody, I mean, you don't have to live here if you're writing a lot elsewhere. But if you want to be here and be here like, hey, can you meet by Thursday and go into the room on Thursday for this project, you have to be local. Because right. it's hard to fly in from across the country at the last minute. I mean, you can do, um, I guess they do a lot more Skype meetings now. I, I just find it much harder. I know actors could audition now through um, tape and a lot mm. more video and online, and they submit that way. But, uh, you know, eventually you have to live here in order to get yourself known well enough. And then once you're known and hired well enough, then you can go wherever you want, really. And then you can also go to Vancouver, where they have a lot of film production. And New York has some. Um, but most development is done here in L.A. So especially on the right, they're on the creative side. They have to be present this moment, especially if it's their work that they're doing. So when, when they live here, how do they reach out to producers? So, so what's the first step in reaching out the script? Like, I, I have a full script, right. and I'm ready to give it out. So how, how do I... How do I give the script out um well producers can't really accept unsolicited material so they don't feel protected because they could have a movie like it in development and then you could send them something similar and then they could make that movie and then you could say oh my god i'm gonna sue you you stole this when really they were working on that idea anyway 
Um, and that happens quite a bit. Uh, but uh, usually the best way in is through a contest or competition or through, look, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. So let's say your neighbor's, when you were growing up, your neighbor's son is now an assistant at ICM or a manager or assistant or producer. And you go, hey, I'm remember me from growing up next door? And they go, oh, yeah, and I wrote the screenplay because I went to film school and I'd love it if you could read it. You're asking them to do a big favor for you, uh, but if they do read it and they like it and they pass it to their boss or, or a producer, that's one way in. Or you go through a festival uh, and you get in through a script competition and you use that, and those are read by managers and producers and executives, and from that you get exposure and some of them will call you and say, hey, we really like this. We'd like to talk to you about what else you're working on or how do we, you know, we'd like to option this or change it, and then that's one way you can get it in. But you can't just literally, producers cannot especially uh, at a studio level, they just cannot accept unsolicited material. So it has to be vetted through a manager or a producer or somebody else. Now, does now does screenwriting competitions work very similarly like film festivals? Because I know film festivals have a bunch of different types of film festivals. You have a comedy festival, horror festival. Is, is screenwriting competitions the same thing or is it more con- like condensed and more less opportunities for screenwriting competitions? How does that um, how does that realm of screenwriting competitions work? Well, there's both. There's uh, giant competitions like Nichols, which is really prestigious, and then there's things like Scriptapalooza, and then there's things like the Blacklist, and then there are specific like horror or action or comedy festivals or competitions. So if if you write look if you write a slasher movie, it's not going to place in the Nichols Fellowship. They just don't do that stuff. They do prestige movies. So you. You know, you, you might get some exposure, but unless it's like an upscale horror movie like Us or Get Out, they're not even going to – they don't typically veer in the direction of horror. And I don't find that they veer in the direction of um, mainstream entertainment. They're much more socially, you know, politically active or right. important movies, if you will. Um, so you can always target other, fil- other festivals. It's the blood list. There's – you know, there's other competitions out there that will take specific genres. You just have to do the research and look it up. And there's a lot of them out there, so. Okay, well, good. That's a relief for the writers listening to this because, you know, hopefully they don't cross their fingers and, you know, hopefully a producer could do up. So then after that, then a lot of, some, some writers get a, I, I, I know you have a work for hire. So yes. what's a work for hire? Uh, like so for, a work for hire is when somebody has read you and liked you and said, hey, we have this movie or this idea, or the script we're trying to fix, and we'd like you to come in and kind of pitch your take on it, and if we like what you come up with, we'll hire you to write it. Um, so it's sort of a lottery where you're up against a bunch of writers, other writers, and they always say there's a handful. A handful to, to me means five. A handful to an executive means 12. So just know that. When they say, oh, we're talking to a handful of people, you can always ask, how many people are you talking to about this? They'll say a handful. They always do. Um, and then you have to go home and do all the work figuring out what's this movie. And you have to kind of crack the three-act structure of that movie and then bring it back to them to pitch them in the room. And then they go, huh, we really like that, or we don't. And if they like it, they hire you to either <coughs> excuse me, go and write a treatment or an outline or then just go directly to draft. And then you get hired to write that movie for them until they decide either to make the movie, to, to bail on the movie, or to hire another writer. So, so basically, all in a work for all they do is give you the, the log line, or what else do they give you? Like, here's all the information you need to go write the, 
to go pitch the idea. So what, what kind of information do they give you as a work for hire? Um, you know, it varies project to project. Sometimes I might say, we want to make a TV show out of Captain Crunch the cereal. Bring us a pitch on Captain Crunch. And that's it. We own Captain Crunch and we'd like to do a TV show or a movie. And we want it to be like Pirates of the Caribbean. And you have to come up with that version of Captain Crunch. Or they'll have us ascend it and say, look, we read this article on, or we have an article. We read an article on, you know, the Space Force. And we want to do a movie about the Space Force. And you go, okay, i got to come up with a whole movie in the Space Force. Or sometimes they'll say, no, here's a log line. We want to do a movie about this, this, and this together. And you go, okay, and and they'll and you have to kind of build up from there. So it always varies. And then if they – so it, it varies depending on uh, the producer, the project. You know, a lot of people are into IP now, which is, <coughs> excuse me, intellectual property, which is material that existed before. Um, and they're always looking to adapt that in some way. There's almost no IP left that is in public domain that people don't control. And you as a writer don't control that. So you you only control your own IP. So they're all looking for IP, and they're um, and the IP that's left that's public domain anyone can develop. So that, that's why there's three Robin Hood movies at the same time, where it's stuff like that's how you end up in that situation. Um, so it, it varies um, project to project on what they bring you. Sometimes they bring you a rewrite, and they say we want to, we need a rewriter on this, we need to fix it. Here's the script, and then you have the entire script to work off, and you have to say what's not working, what is working, what do I want to fix, and what do they want to fix. I feel like if you if you do a work for hire and you're working with another IP, could that it, could I give you a upper upper hand with creating the material so you get a good idea of the IP? Uh, can you can you repeat that? Like basically, is is it a good advantage to have an IP for work as a work for hire? Someone gives you an IP. I mean, it's a good advantage for them. It's not for you because you don't own the material. Right. So. They're, you know, they're talking to a dozen different people mm. to try to find the best take on that material, and they own that material. So, look, the problem with developing stuff that you don't own is you put in three weeks of work to try to figure out their movie, and you walk in, and you pitch them their movie, and they go, ah, uh, yeah, we didn't like that. We're going to go with the other person. And then you wasted three weeks of your life on some movie you don't own. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, what, why would... Why would you do it for the job? Exactly. <laughs> to be business with the with the producer, and maybe you love that material. Look, doesn't mean you have to take the shot. They may say to you, "Look, we want to do a movie about Captain Crunch," and you might say, "I hate Captain Crunch. It's my least favorite serial. I'm not interested." And you walk away. It's fine. There's no crime in that. Um, so you can just say, "You know what?" And look, usually when you get in, and this happened to myself, um, you get in and you sell something, and then everybody wants to meet you. And they're like, oh, my God, we have this movie, and they have this project, and this project. And you start meeting with everybody and going down the road on all these different movies for them. And a year goes by, and you've written nothing new. Because you've been developing their movies for them for free for a year and then not, and not landing one. And then you go, it's been a year since we sold that movie, and we don't have anything. And now you're like, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. But everyone gets sucked in and does that because how can you not? It's kind of alluring. It's like, hey, there's, the, there's a golden ticket about 10 feet away. Yeah. So but, like 10 feet from gold type deal. Right. So you have to parse out what you will and won't take and what you're interested in, and there really should be a time frame. Nowadays, when I get approached about something, I give it three days, and I say, if something sparks for me in three days, first of all, if I respond to the concept, I'll go, okay, I'm interested enough to do at least three days of work. So I give it three days, and if I come up with them some sort of, hey, I think I see a movie here in three days, I'll give it another week, and that's it. 
And within that week, I will have cracked enough of a story to be able to pitch it. But if after three days, I'm like, I got nothing on this. I don't like this. I don't see it. It's not for me. I walk away and I just go, you know what? I gave it a shot. So you have to start to kind of uh, parent your time a little better and that'll so that you remain productive. Because the last thing you want is to, two to three years to go by without a screenplay. Well, one of the best ways to be productive is having some productive habits. So like if you're doing a work for hire, instead of you doing Captain Trunk, uh, Captain Crunch, you probably want to do Count Chocula. So what, what kind of habits do you personally do as a writer to help, you know, get the ball rolling and, you know, have the snowball effect going in your favor? Um, all right. So I write every day. Um, typically every – I write every day meaning five to six days a week, sometimes seven depending on the week. Some days I'll take a day off or some days I'll take the weekend off or I'll sit around for an hour and work instead of – but um, – but as a writer, you're always working. I always have a notebook with me. I always have a pen. I'm always jotting shit down. I'm sorry. I don't know if we can swear on this. But anyway, I'm always jotting stuff down. And then um, and then, you have to do it every day. You have to find the time in the day that's your time. So I write in the morning because my head is clear. Uh, I wake up. I read the news. I kind of surf the web for a little while. I usually know what I'm working on or I have an idea what I do I want to work on today or I open three or four files that I'm working on and I say, this one's kind of popping for me today. I'll play here for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, or if I'm writing a screenplay, all right, so if I'm developing a screenplay, I literally, it's every morning and I'll go to about two in the afternoon, but I won't answer the phone before 12. Mm-hmm. I will literally not answer the phone and I have a auto response on my phone now that says writing, I'll call you back. And I just tap that and people leave me alone. Um, after 12 or so, I will start to pick up calls, especially if it's work. And then uh, when I'm writing a screenplay, my goal is five pages a day. Mm. And I usually do, depending on the assignment, I can do about eight to ten pages a day, depending on the assignment. If I'm trying to just burn through the assignment because it's not worth a lot of time, I'll do eight to ten pages a day. Okay. So, so those are like pretty uh, pretty simplistic, repetitive habits, mm-hmm. like not picking up the phone till 12. I know that's going to be a hard struggle for most people. Right. No, you have to train yourself to do it. Look, none of it's easy. Um, you have to... Look, habits are hard to break, good and bad. So people smoke, and it's a really hard habit to break. People drink. People surf the, surf the web all the time. People do it all the time, all day long, and they check their email constantly. That's a habit, and to break it is hard. But once you make writing a habit, it's hard to break the habit. So it's a good habit to have, and if you do it every day at the same time, your body starts wanting to do it every day at the same time. So you wake up, and you're raring to go. And, and it can be whatever time you have to yourself. You might get home from work at <coughs> 4, and your spouse or your girlfriend or your roommates aren't home till 7, and that is your window from 4 to 7. Or maybe when everyone goes to bed at 10 o'clock, you write from 10 to 1. Or maybe you get up at 4 a.m. and you write from 4 to 8, and then you go to your 9 to 5 job until you've made it. It all depends. I mean, you have to figure out when to write because when you're juggling a survival job with that, it's much harder, and that's usually how everyone starts their career. Yeah, because, like, one thing that a, a write, an advantage that most writers have is that they could do the work here on like a typewriter or computer. Mm-hmm. So it's easier to form the habit where it's like producers are constantly looking for the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Directors are also trying to get their work and a lot of directors are writing and directing mm-hmm. to kind of intertwine them. But then actors have to go out all, out of their way to do auditions. Mm-hmm. So I feel like writers, in my opinion, correct me if you're wrong, but they have the biggest advantage when it comes to pro- producing work. Right. Well, writers don't rely on anyone but themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't even need a computer. I can have a pen. And when you when you do it long enough, you can write anywhere. 
it doesn't matter if you're at your desk or not. I will not write at a coffee shop because everyone in LA is working on a screenplay. And I will sit there and I will watch everyone in the room because I'm out of my house. Um, I find that if you are in your space, the same space every day, there's no new surprises. Um, then you sit there and you know you're here to work. <laughs> it's like when you go to work. Um, but I don't, um, writers have the best advantage because they don't need anyone else to do a job. Director needs a screenplay. A producer needs a screenplay and money. A director needs usually a screenplay actors and money mm. or they put on a play. Uh, actors need a role and a director and a script and everything else. So writers have the only advantage in that they can do it by themselves all day long without anyone, you know, they don't need anyone else but a computer or a piece of paper. So. Yeah, I remember you told me that in, when, when you told everyone that, like, you did this and no one else can do that. Mm -hmm. So it's a good starting point. Like, the main reason why I got into writing is because none of the writers are going to do anything. So uh, if I'm more of a producer, mm -hmm. I need to, you know, scout and no one's doing anything, especially stuff I don't like. If they're talking about a depressed homeless man meeting, like, a young child, I'm like, you know, it might be a good script, but I'm personally not into that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I that's why I got started writing is because, like, no like no one's doing anything or I can't find anything. So, so it's nice to pick up the, the writing habits and I want to shift gears to this. I'm going to talk about more on technical in the business side of things because I know that you got your head in the water into that. Mm -hmm. So what scripts sell really well? Um, well, I mean, uh, it all depends. I mean, okay, so the, the easiest screenplays to sell are horror, thriller, and action. Mm. And the reason is they can all be made for a price and they have big foreign appeal. Um, action movies don't need a lot of subtitles, so John Wick will do incredibly well overseas. Mm. There's almost no dialogue in the movie. It's like, you know, there's maybe 100 lines of dialogue in the whole movie. There's probably a little more, but it's literally, there's a lot of scenes where there's no one talking. Um, those are the three easiest things to write. Everybody's looking for a thriller right now. Mm. Everybody wants a thriller between 15 and $30 million that they can make, like Fatal Attraction mm. back in the day. Um, Horror movies do really well because you can make them fairly cheaply and make a lot of money if they're a good concept. And then action movies. Uh, it's much harder to get a drama made. It's much harder to get um, a giant tentpole movie made because they have those. A tentpole is a movie that you can, a studio can count on every summer to make a fortune for them, like The Avengers or Star Wars. Um, so... Uh, it's much harder to get those made because they own those IP and they're not going to spend $200 million on an, on an IP that is unknown. It's hard. It's rare that they do it. They do do it. It just doesn't pan out all, all the time. And then when, 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 does, when, when does not pan out, they go, see, nobody sees original movies mm -hmm. like this anymore, which unfortunately is sometimes true and sometimes not. Um, so uh, those are the three easiest to sell. Comedy used to be an easy sell. It's not anymore. Family films. Are good sell, and you can now sell faith-based films because there's a lot of faith-based companies, and they make them for like ten million and under, and they make at least like forty million dollars almost all the time. So they they do well, they do well. Uh, do, do do they sell well selling overseas Christian films? I don't. I think they sell in certain countries overseas. I don't know. I know here they all seem to turn a decent oh, profit, yeah. especially if you put them like in flyover states mm -hmm. and like you no, know particularly uh, in Boston is. Like, is the eastern side of things, sure, if my wrong, is a little bit more religious than California, West Coast-wise. I mean, it, it is a little, yes. I mean, 
I think the further west you get, the less mainstream religion you get and the more weirdo religion you get yeah. in a fun way. So we have much more Buddhists and we have much more yogis yeah. and much more Jedis. And uh, yeah. so the, the way you get across. So, uh, yes, but I don't think that they look at the Boston market as a big faith-based mm-hmm. market. I'm sure it is a market, but I'm sure the entire middle of the country and the south is their market. And they, these movies tend to make money. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think too many producers get on the bandwagon that, oh, it doesn't matter if it's good. It just has to be mm-hmm. faith-based and it will make money. And that's the problem you get is people are just interested in making money instead of making something good. Yeah, because um, I'm from Louisiana where, like, you know, we're so religious that we don't even call our counties counties. Mm-hmm. We call them parishes. Mm-hmm. So I definitely can relate to, like, I remember when God's Not Dead came out. That was a huge movie, right. like, in our little, in, in our hometown because that was a mm-hmm. big deal. And so how, how do writers, like, n- because I feel like they could feel some despair. It's like, oh, I have to write this. Like, how can we still encourage writers to write what they want despite all these obstacles that they have to go through? Um, well, I mean, you have to write what you want to a degree. Uh, you have to write what you want because your voice will be on the page and the passion of what you write will be on the page. If you are absolutely in love with the subject and you know how to tell that story, that passion will bleed on the page. You might not sell that, but that passion will get you in a lot of rooms and they'll say, we loved your script. We're never going to make it. It's not what we do, but we'd love for you to come on board and do this over here for us. Um, But you also have to realize that if you write some really weird, esoteric movie, it's probably never going to get made. And if you write this weird little movie that's only for you, you're the only audience. So if you want, I mean, it's called show business. Mm -hmm. There's a business aspect. So if these people, you know, so writers have to realize that there is, that if they want, Look, they don't have to. If they want to write uh, esoteric stuff, they might as well be a novelist mm-hmm. and self-publish. But if you want to get a movie made, movies are made that they cost a lot of money, typically, or a decent amount of money if they were done well. And then, and I mean, like a million dollars is still a lot of money to most people, as, and rightfully so. So, um, so even if it takes you a million and a half dollars to make an independent film about two people walking around, like Before Sunrise. Mm-hmm. It's still a million and a half dollars of two people walking around, so they better be movie stars that we want to go see walk around. Mm. Um, so, you, yes, you should write what you want because you're passionate about it, but you should know and have your eyes open to the fact that if it's not commercial, it's going to be that much harder to sell. And that does not mean you can't do both. So, so one of the key things in making what you want to write is a nice, solid package. Is that more of the writer's role in packaging everything? Package like... Getting talent on board? Getting talent, the director. No, that's not the writer's job at all. The writer's job is to write the script. Now, if you want to direct the movie, you better know how to write because mm-hmm. no one's just going to hand you a script. I, I have, um, you know, I've run into numerous screenwriters who basically say, I just want to be a director. I don't want to write. And it's like, yeah, okay, so why do I give you my script over me? Right. Like, what makes you the director I want to hand my script to? And, and it's... Uh, so the package is put together typically by a producer uh, who comes on board your project and says, I, I have a relationship with so-and-so, and we're going to put so-and-so in this movie, or we're going to try to get him or her in this movie, and then that's going to – that magnet draws another magnet and another magnet, and then everything starts to gain mass, and then the movie starts to move. And with that packaging, that, that, that comes for the pre-sale. So what's the pre-sale to be exact once you have, like, the package and everything together? Okay, so um, – Okay, so that's an independent film thing. So if you work at a studio, the studio's making this movie. They have their own money. So basically the studio can say, 
we don't need the pre-sales move because we're going to own it and distribute it. Um, so we're going to get, you know, uh, um, the guy from The Star is Born in it and the girl from The Star is Born. We're going to redo, we're going to put them in a new movie. We're going to swap the roles. And that's the movie we want to make. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga want to package this movie. And they know going in that they can get those people because they're a studio and they can pay them their millions of dollars. All right, but if you're doing this independently, what you need to do is find the material and then you find a director and it has to be a director who can draw a cast. And once you get the cast on board because you send them the script, then you take that package and you go to foreign countries and to a foreign sales company and they say, this movie with these people in it is worth X amount of dollars in France and X amount of dollars in Germany and X amount of dollars in Spain and X amount of dollars in China. And you add up all those X's and you say, here's the budget of our movie. Hmm. So if these people are only worth two and a half million dollars, that's the budget of your movie. And if these people were $12 million, you can now make a $12 million film. And if you pre-sell everything overseas, all the money from the United States is gravy. Right. And that's how a lot of independent films get made. Again, independent films, though, that's how a lot of action movies, thrillers, and horror movies get made because they can pre-sell them. Um, too many people think, I'll just make a horror movie, and if it's not a good premise or an original premise, because um, you don't really need a movie star for a horror movie, but if it, you don't have the premise and the gimmick, Nobody goes, and they're a dime a dozen, and they cost five hundred thousand dollars, and they all look like crap. So mm, kind of like the sci-fi films on Sci-Fi Channel, you mean? Yeah, yeah, because they crank those out. They don't care. They're buy. They're making those, and they're like, so you walk into that, and the company that's making them says, "Hey, Sci-Fi will make it. We'll buy this movie off us for three fifty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're gonna make the movie for three fifty, and all the money we make from Europe is in our pocket." So they only put 350 into that movie, which is why it looks like crap, because you can't do a science fiction movie for 350 unless you're doing two people in a car that's traveling through time and you're, you're really limiting your special effects and, and your production value. And that's the only way to make a movie like that. Or you contain in one room like The Cube. Mm-hmm. You know, Cube's a great movie, but it's the same room over and over again with like a small group of people, and I bet it still costs a million dollars. So, um, yeah, so it all depends how you're trying to put your movie together. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you going independent? Are you trying to get cast and then and then go get the money foreign, but then you have to go to a foreign sales company or a domestic sales company that knows foreign sales company and then build out from there. Because I know like for film, this is a business about exposure and getting your your name and your work out there. And one of the best ways is to sell your films offshores. Isn't that correct? Um, I mean, look, the only reason I think, to me it's not about exposure, it's about making money back for the people who put money in so they'll make another movie with me. That's it. So if you, if I, if I write your movie and it makes you $20 million, you're going to come back to me and say, hey, you made me $20 million. What, about, what else are we going to do? Hmm. But if I make your movie and it loses $20 million, you're going to say, I want nothing to do with you. So to me, it's not about exposure. Exposure only comes, look, if you make a big hit movie, you're going to get the exposure anyway because everyone's going to be like, look how much money he made those people. Let's work with him. But in, so I, I don't look at it as exposure. Right. I guess it's exposure in the way that you can get great exposure if you write a great screenplay. And pe- everyone in town goes, oh, my God, we love this. It's fantastic. Let's all meet with you. And then you get in every room you want, and then you have your pick of the litter on what you want to do. So it's all about more about making the best work that you could possibly make and helping others. Because this is this, – one of the reasons why I like film is because of like a football Whereas, like, if one player makes a mistake, the entire thing collapses. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I like about this business. It's not not just you, although it's 
when it comes to writers, you and that script. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the producers, directors, it's it's very collaborative effort for everyone because we're all trying to accomplish the same thing here. Whether it's like we're trying to get more money or we're trying to tell a great story, regardless, we're all channeling in the same path. Is that correct? You hope so. You hope that you are on a team or you put together a team that wants to do right. the same movie. Too many times you uh, get people in there who are only interested in making the most money and don't care about the quality. Yeah. And they just think, well, it doesn't matter if we spend a little more because we're not going to make a little more. Like if, like the Asylum, you know, the Sci-Fi Channel example you said, where, you know, if they say, you know what, if we put another $50,000 into this movie, this would be great. And they're like, you know what, but we're not going to make that back, so forget it, we don't care. Yeah. And they don't care. So it's literally about making shoes. And, you know, you can do that for a little while while you pay the bills, mm-hmm. but there comes a point where you want to do something good because mm-hmm. if you once you start to have... A couple of good movies; those are the movies people remember. Yeah. And if you have a couple of bad movies, those are people the movies people remember, and they stay with you. Mm-hmm. And it's very you have to kind of tread kind of carefully when you get down that road. Right. And it's not ever almost look nobody nobody greenlights a bad movie, a bad script. Nobody says this this piece of crap. Let's make this movie. Mm-hmm. Never happens. It gets watered down in the process, and the the same people are not on the same team, and they're all running in different directions, and the movie has to cross the finish line regardless because the insurance is there. And you just fumbled your way downfield, and you get it across the finish line. You go up. Oh, it's a movie. It's just not a good movie, and that happens way too often. Uh, well, wrapping all that up for our final question, uh, what's what's the? I know this is a vague question, but what's the best piece of advice you can give to a writer as of right now? Um, okay, so write every day. Uh, make it your habit. Um, don't expect uh, it's a long journey so you better have the fire without the fire you've got nothing because it's a marathon not a sprint and so the the earlier you start writing and you the mark that for 10 years so if you started when you were 16 26 is when you first start to get your recognition if you start when you're 18 uh, 28 Um, so it is a journey and you better love it more than anything because there are a lot easier ways to make money and there are good years and bad years and there's an up and a down to it that you don't control and you have to just hold on for the ride if you want to stay in it and there's no shame in saying you know what this is not for me well put well david thank you for your time you're welcome and uh thanks for listening everyone hope you have a good day